if you can provide like direct assistance for how to use your product, especially technical products, like what we target um, during those initial phases, um, you're really going to reduce the time to activation or like the time for the user to be able to see value in your product, um, which can help with activation and conversion. Um, and then on an ongoing basis, if someone has like a chatbot that can actually be helpful to them in their particular unique scenarios, um, if they have it on hand throughout the life cycle of them being a customer for you, uh, you know, they're much more likely to go try new features that you might develop uh, to be able to like expand their scenarios and use cases as, as they themselves grow. Uh, and in general, just be like, a, so if you can provide like direct assistance for how to use your product, especially technical products, like what we target um, during those initial phases, um, you're really going to reduce the time to activation or like the time for the user to be able to see value in your product, uh, which can help with activation and conversion. Um, and then on an ongoing basis, if someone has like a chatbot that can actually be helpful to them in their particular unique scenarios, uh, if they have it on hand throughout the life cycle of them being a customer for you, uh, you know, they're much more likely to go try new features that you might develop uh, to be able to like expand their scenarios and use cases as, as they themselves grow. Uh, and in general, just be like a more satisfied, but also more active user of, of your product. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Future Product. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Nick Gomez. He's the founder and CEO at Inkeep a YC-backed startup that turns your docs into an AI-powered search and chat co-pilot. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. For sure. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I'm pretty interested in your product, but before we get into that, let's start with a little bit of background on you. Um, where did you come from? Kind of where did you, you know, get the idea for this? And, and how long have you kind of been sitting on this idea? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked at Microsoft for three years. Um, basically, I was a product manager and I focused on developer experiences. So both defining feature sets and platforms that we were going to build out uh, and create for developers, but also thinking about the whole developer experience from the moment they come to your documentation to the first steps um, in them trying the product uh, to the, basically how do we support them and like how do we are, how are we responsive, uh, regardless of, kind of which support channel they use to, to talk to us? Um, so that's what I worked on uh, for, for three years and focused on that, particularly in the identity products. Uh, and so basically, any app that anyone ever develops needs authentication. Uh, and so we basically made it easy for app developers to not have to worry about how to add authentication to their apps uh, and be able to just focus on you know their particular business logic or actual scenarios. So I worked a lot in this space and thought a lot about this, um, you know, and I'm a developer myself uh, by training. Um, and so, you know, I, I come from the mindset of being a developer. Um, and what I saw at Microsoft was that, like, regardless of how many resources we had, and we had, you know, dedicated customer support teams, um, and we had product managers and engineers who were like very lively on the different support channels, it still never felt like we were able to like provide the level of uh, support we wanted to, uh, to all developers, regardless of kind of where, where they touched with, uh, points with us. And I think that's just like due to the nature of technical support or developer support, right? 
You have to look at logs. You really have to deeply understand the, the product and the technical aspects. Uh, and that requires like a certain skill set in, in folks. Um, so it just, it, it has been like really hard historically to, to be able to do this well. Um, and so that's where it came from. And then obviously like once the LM technology really took off, uh, I saw a huge opportunity to be able to help companies be able to do that. Got you. Got you. Makes a lot of sense. So uh, jumping back to kind of your experience with Microsoft, uh, being, you know, a senior product manager there and being technical, uh, what was kind of the experience there like? Did you feel kind of a pull from different departments that I, I hear a lot of product people talking about where it's like you have to kind of be juggling all of the different departments and keeping peace and all of that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I, honestly, I, I felt very privileged to, to be in that position of being able to work with all these different teams. Uh, so, you know, one day you'd be working with the designer on like, what should the UX look like? And then the next day I'm working uh, with engineers on the API design. Uh, and then, you know, you also work with legal and finance and marketing and all these different teams. Um, but also as a product manager, you're responsible for like really understanding what our customers, in my case, developers are uh, looking for. And so that meant being very attentive to our support channels and folks, you know, both in our like customer support teams, but also documentation teams, because they heard some feedback from customers, uh, et cetera. Um, and so really you are kind of a, a, in the center of it all, trying to uh, be able to leverage everyone's skills to, to be able to deliver a good product. Um, but I, I loved it. It was, it was great being able to have those people with that, that is, those experiences and those expertise um, for me to work with, uh, it's kind of like a startup is somewhat similar and being a founder at a startup is quite similar, except you're doing all of those same roles yourself. Right. You don't have to create right. uh, Let me just delegate this to myself real quick. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And from the, like being a technical person in that role, I think it really helps, mm -hmm. uh, especially when working on developer products, like right. you need the empathy for what it means to be a developer, to be able to build a developer product. Um, mm -hmm. and so that, I think that served me well and, you know, APIs are really important. So oftentimes I was in charge of like figuring out and talking through with all the different teams that the API design, obviously in collaboration with engineering, uh, and other folks. Um, but I, you know, I felt, uh, yeah, really privileged to, to be in that position where I could both define a little bit of the technical aspects of what the product will look like in the end, um, but be able to work with all these teams to, to make it happen. Right on. Uh, it's something that I've talked about with a few guests and that I think uh, some of the bigger companies are starting to do Airbnb as an example <clears throat> of kind of splitting the product title into two kind of factions, right? So you've got the, the technical heavy and then you've got kind of like a more of a GTM marketing focus PM. Um, how do you view that kind of shift? Does that make sense to you? Or are you, uh, you obviously lean more towards the technical side, right? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think, for developer products in particular, mm. maybe the split doesn't make as much more sense mm. because oftentimes the, your GTM and marketing is your developer experience, right? Right. Um, and your, your, you know, the, the PLG type motions that you see. So you don't necessarily need dedicated marketing or, mm. or sales, that type of thing. Um, okay. Oftentimes your, your DevX and your product speaks for itself. Um, mm. and, Companies like Airbnb, where it, it might really be different, where like PMs, uh, the technical PMs are more focused on like feature development for like mm. SaaS or consumer facing uh, versus, uh, you know, they're not necessarily focused on like, how, you know, traditional marketing channels. Mm. Uh, it might make, that separation might, 
make more sense, I think. Got it. Got it. Thank you for the perspective. So, so that kind of being the case, moving forward from there, when you, you know, went to found Inkeep, um, obviously you're, you're YC backed. What was that experience like? What, did you always know that you wanted to do YC? Was that kind of a, a goal that you had set for yourself? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So two parts. So uh, how I got interested in it was a lot of friends uh, during my time at MIT. So I went to MIT as, as an undergrad. Gotcha. They worked at YC companies uh, mm-hmm. as interns or, you know, eventually hired as, as full-time employees. So my co-founder actually worked at Twitch uh, for oh, okay. an intern and, and Twitch was a, a YC company. Um, but I, I knew any tons. And so that's kind of like how I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just seemed like a lot of cool startup tech companies were YC backed. Um, gotcha. So that's kind of how I got seated in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then once I started to, to look to do a, a startup, um, it, it was kind of obvious for me to, to go for it. Um, yeah. So that was like how it, it came about. Um, and then the, like the actual experience was amazing. I think it's totally worth it. Um, almost all of our initial customers were YC companies. Uh, so it gives you like, uh, you know, access to that network of all the different companies who have come before you. Um, but I think even beyond kind of the networking aspects and like being connected to VCs and customers and all that stuff, just having a bunch of people that are in your batch and therefore going through like the exact same stages that you are, right? Uh, you know, they're either pivoting or they're figuring out how do we do B2B sales for the first time. Um, they're facing a lot of the challenges that you are. And so you just get to like bounce off ideas and, and learn from other folks uh, who are like at a very similar stage. Um, and they're all super ambitious and smart and have really unique perspectives and stuff. So it's, it's just like a great environment to be around. Um, yeah, that's my take on YC. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So you, you mentioned kind of, um, a lot of your initial clients being, uh, YC companies, right? How have you, as you've kind of evolved and, and gone forward with the company, how has that motion changed? What, what kind of, you know, GTM kind of motion are you guys looking at and, and how do you think that that's influenced by being a developer? Yeah, I think we, we still lean pretty heavily on like direct introductions to folks. So that can be through YC network, MIT network, through now customers uh, who have used us and are like big fans and are willing to have a case for us. Uh, they'll make intros sometimes. Um, so we've focused primarily like on leveraging those those networks uh, to get in touch with folks. Um, but we are looking at like opening up to, to a more self-serve uh, type of experience. You know, we've always been a big fans of PLG and we, we want to make this type of experience accessible to any developer product. Um, so that's something we're looking forward to in, in the near future. Awesome. So that being said, I, I've been kind of hearing this uh, pretty recently is just that it's, it's easy. Everybody wants to be a PLG company, right? Everybody yeah. strives for that. But a lot of people kind of try to force in the early days a, a kind of PLG motion. It sounds like you guys have taken the time to do the need finding, get your Lighthouse customers, figure it out, get their feedback. So that being said, what processes do you guys use to collect customer feedback to, you know, uh, work their kind of feedback into the product? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel like because we haven't opened it up, we don't necessarily have the volume um, where we can't keep up with it. So we just mm-hmm. have like, you know, uh, connect channels with all of our customers and they gotcha. us, ask us directly for whatever mm-hmm. they want. Um, and so we, you know, we prioritize based, based on like those different requests, but we're pretty like, you know, 
we're we're still a small company, so we we take like the kind of the initiative to just be as hands-on as possible with all of our customers, really regardless mm-hmm. of their size, whether they're seed stage starting companies to big you know companies with uh, lots of you know we have channels with like fifty plus people in the channels, which are always fun. Uh, but yeah. We like to be very, very hands-on with all our customers and, and hear uh, directly from them. Right on, right on. So just in case people aren't familiar, could we walk through InKeep and just kind of who it's for, what exactly it does, and how you would position it? Yeah, absolutely. So InKeep, we basically help developer companies with developer products, right? Um, take all of their technical documentation, their API reference, their GitHub issues, their forums, their chats on uh, like their communities like Slack or Discord, uh, and take all of that content uh, and provide search and chat experiences that they can then provide to their end users, i.e. developers. Um, and so people embed this are chat experiences uh, or search experiences in a few different ways. So it can go in like the search bar in your documentation, which is like a natural point for a lot of developer companies and, and developer products. Um, but people can also add it as a Slack bot or as a Discord bot to their communities, which again, a lot of developer products tend to have. Um, we've also had folks have like the little chat widget thing, like at the, at the bottom right, um, and they can add that to their landing page or in product. Um, and we also offer an API. So we've had folks add us uh, basically generate, use our APIs to generate code snippets that then they insert into like notebook-like experiences. Uh, there's like a lot of different ways and in which you can incorporate it. Really, it, it ends up being like whatever, wherever the whatever the company feels is kind of the natural interface with their end users um, is where our product ends up. Um, and in terms of like the value that folks get out of this, it's really it's what we talked about at the beginning, which is like being able to support developers at scale. And so this does mean like it helps not spend you know hundreds of hours from your product or support or engineering teams. Um, answering kind of repetitive questions, really it, it acts as like a filter. So you get to focus on the novel questions that really can't be answered by any of the content that exists by your product. Uh, and so that helps product teams as well as documentation teams or support teams uh, focus on either improving the product itself or improving supporting content or documentation. Um, and so that's that's kind of one major benefit. But the other one is, and you know, you as a product person, uh, I'm sure you, you agree, but like the any barriers you can remove during the time that a customer, in this case developers, are evaluating or trying your product, um, it is going to improve your conversion and like just increase all your funnels, right? Um, so if you can provide like direct assistance for how to use your product, especially technical products like what we target um, during those initial phases, um, you're really going to reduce the time to activation or like the time for the user to be able to see value in your product, uh, which can help with activation and conversion. Um, and then on an ongoing basis, if someone has like a chatbot that can actually be helpful to them in their particular unique scenarios, uh, if they have it on hand throughout the life cycle of them being a customer for you, uh, you know, they're much more likely to go try new features that you might develop uh, to be able to like expand their scenarios and use cases as as they themselves grow, uh, and in general, just be like a more satisfied but also more active user of, of your product. Right on, yeah. I uh, 
I think that's so important, right? Because it's, especially when you're talking about PLG companies where it's rather hands-off from a customer support angle, you typically only hear when people are at their highest point of frustration, right? When they're like, you know what? I, I'm sick of this product. I'm going to churn. This is my last shot. And I'm, I'm probably not going to reply to the email that I get sent by their CS person, realistically. So yeah. yeah, you're kind of intervening four or five steps before that when somebody is first starting to feel that pain point, right? Exactly. And sometimes it's not, what's really interesting is like, yes, it, it helps with all the different pain points. And mm -hmm. what you find developers as an audience, they really love to self-troubleshoot. They mm -hmm. actually don't like, you know, waiting around for someone to be able to answer them if they can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're very willing to try these types of systems, especially if they get the confidence that they're actually like good, right? Um, and so it's, they're just like a perfect audience for this type of product. Um, but interestingly, like even beyond the pain points, um, you know, you don't even necessarily need a pain point. Sometimes you see like a scenario, you're like, okay, this is what I want to do with this product. It sounds like from their landing page or their docs or whatever, it's going to help me with my scenario. But can I just ask something like exactly how do I accomplish this scenario with this particular product? And being able to give that type of guide, like personalized on-demand guidance at the very beginning of someone's life cycle with your product is, is really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how many people stay up at night, you know, with that very question in mind, right? Um, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I, I also wanted to kind of point out something else that I thought was really novel and interesting about InKeep. Uh, which is that you guys, um, you cite your sources, right? So there's kind of a, a grounded truth um, that it's always referring back to. Would you mind kind of explaining that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So whenever someone uses the chat mode of mm -hmm. our product, um, whenever we generate an answer, we both in line, like in the sentences of the response, mm -hmm. have little footnotes, like we call them citations. Um, that lead you to like, okay, it's pulling this sentence or this part of the answer from this particular source. And then at the very end, you get these nice preview cards as well of like, hey, these are the you know three or four sources that they use. And this can point to both documentation, but also GitHub or you know in the forums or like Slack, that type of thing. Um, so it really helps someone be able to have like a global search um, of all your different channels and places where content about your product might, might exist. Um, and like you said, We've, we've definitely heard this before where it's like, even if the bot is slightly wrong or didn't quite answer the, the, the question that the user was asking for, often the sources lead them to the, the right like, path. Uh, and they're able to, to either follow up with the bot with like clarifying questions or clarifying details, um, or they just find like the, the most relevant content that's gonna help them um, unblock themselves. And so being able, part of it for us, like developers expect like authenticity and, um, yeah, authenticity and like providing these sources and being open about like, hey, this is not going to be accurate 100% of the time. Uh, but here's like helpful things that, that might be able to guide you in the, the right direction. Um, we do a lot of work to try to make sure that it is accurate as, as accurate as possible. Um, but the user can always reference what's cited to learn more, uh, explore more, or, uh, you know, double check the, the logic. Perfect. I, I think that makes so much sense with a developer audience too, right? Because these aren't like helpless people. These are people who can, you know, when given the technical knowledge can easily implement it themselves, right? So it makes a lot of sense. Gotcha. Um, can I ask you a question? How do you see an experience like InKeep potentially working for other audiences outside of engineers? Do you envision, you know, in the future ever trying to target other audiences 
Yeah, for sure. So we are focused on developer products just because we also feel like it's been like a neglected uh, sector. So like if you look at traditional support tools like an intercom or a Zendesk, developers don't even like to a lot of times interact with those because they feel like salesy or marketing and you never see like, a code snippet in any of those experiences. Um, so we're, we're focused on, on the, these particular types of audiences to start. But honestly, we've already had inbound from folks who like have a like a, either like a B2B SaaS type product uh, or just some type of really like technical product. Um, even some internal use cases where like, hey, we have some internal developer docs for our own engineering teams. But we would love to bring this internally. And so we've actually, you know, have worked with a few companies on those types of scenarios. Oh, cool. Um, so we're, we're open to that um, if folks are interested. And, you know, this technology does, like those cases have succeeded in, in the scenarios that they were looking for. Um, right on. So, yeah, someone's interested in that for sure. Give us a thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like institutional knowledge is such a crucial aspect to, I mean, any department. I mean, engineers, I think, kind of come to the forefront when you think about that, just because you have a code base, you have, you know, all of these kind of things that in the scope of your company's history need to be thought of when you're determining kind of your next step. But I think that equally that could be applied to any department, right? Um, makes a lot of sense. Um, now there's a quote, I forget if it was from your website or your LinkedIn, I apologize, but, um, it said chat GPT like experiences are easy to demo, but hard to ship. And that really stood out to me. Would you mind kind of elaborating on that a bit? Yeah, for sure. So we've talked to, you know, in the order of hundreds of companies, uh, who are really excited about being able to use LLMs and generative AI, uh, for a bunch of different use cases, but one of the primary mm -hmm. ones is exactly what we're talking about, being able to assist customers uh, with information and knowledge about their product. Um, and what we found is that a lot of them have tried either through like a, a hackathon or they put like an engineer or two on like a two-week project to try to spin something up. And like today, the, and the tooling keeps getting better and better. Um, so people are able to get started and spin something up. That's like relatively decent. Uh, and it's exciting to, to be able to see that uh, with that like ease of use. But what we find is these types of companies, um, they it often that type of like demo or proof of concept often doesn't like meet quite the quality threshold that these types of companies are looking for for something they're going to expose to their end users, right? Because if it's misleading, if it's not a good experience, it might cause more frustration than it actually like alleviates. Um, and so we've we found that there's like a big gap between the like the first zero to you know fifty or sixty percent, and then the last like half, right? in terms of just getting to the, the state where you, you're able to share something with the end users. Got you. It makes a ton of sense. I think that trust element has been, you, you know, I, I definitely think as a market AI and, you know, using that term loosely, right. But um, AI technology kind of stemming from the generative AI boom from open AI <clears throat> hasn't necessarily crossed the chasm yet. I'd say we, we definitely are kind of at early adopter status for the most part. Um, so what you just said kind of makes a lot of sense for how we kind of push and cross over that chasm is, you know, not only providing an experience that looks good and, and sounds good in a demo, but also is trustworthy to the end user. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's say, right. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. After you. Yeah. So quality is definitely like a blocker for a lot of these, um, companies and, and folks, um, but I think even beyond that, there's other dimensions to this type of product that mm -hmm. are really interesting, especially from, from a product perspective. So for example, 
the chat conversations that people have, um, oftentimes they ask a lot more questions to this type of solution than they would to traditional support channels. Going back to what you said earlier, where like, you know, oftentimes they don't actually try to talk to someone until like it's like a really bad problem or like they're, they're really frustrated. Versus with this type of product, they don't have that element and it's immediate. So we've seen volumes where like the, the, the number of questions people ask this type of system just dwarf what people see through their traditional support channels or even their communities uh, in terms of like forums or, or Slack or Discord. And so these user conversations are really authentic in that they're asking every single thing that comes up to mind, all right? Or every single issue that they come, um, come across during their implementation. And so it's just like a rich source of product insights. And so our platform, you know, obviously focuses on primarily first quality, but beyond that, like helping you take those conversations and be able to get actionables from that, right? So be able to understand um, what are the, the pain points that people are talking about? What are the features that they're asking for? When was the bot not able to answer a question because it couldn't find good content for it, right? And so all of these are like tangible things that product teams, documentation teams, support teams can act on to actually improve the, the product. I see. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. So from a from a business perspective, one thing that I, I was wondering about um, that I think is kind of a, a pressing question for a lot of AI startups is going forward, how do you kind of view the concept of moat and, and how Inkeep is moated? How, how do you kind of view the, the strategy around that? Yeah, for sure. And we heard this a ton when we were fundraising. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> love to ask that question. I think for us, it's like, if, if we're just able to make customers really happy, um, we'll figure out what the continued value proposition is, right? And so things are always going to change and evolve. And I think this has always been historically true. It just feels more you know, pertinent now because it's changing so fast and the technology is moving forward so quickly. Uh, but I think that's, that's always true. There's always like initial stepping stones for almost every product, right? Uh, so our focus is just like with whatever the current state is, how do we maximize the value that we can provide customers? And like, us being able to figure out how to do that on a continual basis is just like the the the, the purpose of us as a company, right? Um, and so yeah, you know, I think right now it, it's primarily in quality and the, the experiences around it. Um, but I think moving forward, the other aspects like the analytics and insights um, that I was just mentioning, like those type of additional workflow type features, uh, become more important uh, over time, right? Because you you don't just want the value of the Q&A, you want the value of the entire like end-to-end -end life cycle of what that, having that type of product means for you and your interactions with end users. Uh, so that's where we'll continue to focus on as, as we move forward. Awesome. No, I think that's the right way to look at it, right? As long as you're providing that like top tier experience, that's all you can do. No, 100%. Um, yeah, exactly. So an another question I was, I, I wanted to ask you, it's just something that I toy around with in my head quite a bit. Um, when we're thinking about kind of the the giants, right, like the Microsofts, um, who have so much capital and so much talent in the form of like researchers and, and technical uh, folks working on their AI products, for us smaller startup AI products, one thing that I wonder about is how quickly budgets will get filled, right? Because there are so many different AI tools that work together pretty well, but almost seem like uh, one thing I, I worry about is the larger companies kind of swooping in and offering like a platform, right? Do, have you thought about that at, at all? And do you have any kind of, you know, thoughts on how we could work that out? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is something uh, that I'll, I think a lot of startups are thinking about, folks mm -hmm. in the waste community that I know are thinking about. 
which is like it does feel like the incumbents in in this wave are moving faster than yeah. they have in previous kind of innovation waves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and they have kind of a distribution advantage, right. and the tech, and they and they they happen to own the actual like IP that right. powers all the, the platforms. Um, so it, it's definitely more, I think, more challenging than it has historically been in terms of an answer. I, th- I mean, I think it's very similar to what we were just talking about, which is like mm. uh, just focus on like the your customers, what they're asking you for, et cetera, uh, and plugging into their particular workflows um, and being able to provide really you know delightful and, and useful experiences. And I think they'll guide you. Like I don't know, I, I think it's still true that startups are able to move more quickly and be more responsive to the customers than larger mm. companies. Uh, so even if they have more, uh, you know, capital uh, or distribution advantage, oftentimes they don't have like the scrappiness and ability to to move more quickly and, and you know have Slack channels with every single one of their customers, right? Etc. Uh, no. So I, I think that's really like the only uh, type of, of of defense, I guess. But mm-hmm. I think that's always been true. You know, that it's always been a question of like, why won't a giant just sidestep and squash me? Right. Uh, I think that has always been the case. And I don't I don't know if the, the solution to that really has changed that much, except, you know, we just have to be uh, even sharper with uh, kind of what we do in execution. Right. Just got to be scrappy and fast. Exactly. Yeah. How do you guys uh, how do you guys manage to, to produce quickly? Are you guys you know, do you use agile, any type of frameworks for managing work in that way? Yeah, I mean, we use Scrum and just like gotcha. traditional task managers, but we're still also like a relatively small team. So it, there's not like a huge burden in terms of, you know, uh, process, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think we just, like for our first hires, we focused on finding folks who we would trust to make product decisions without our like, you know, oversight or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just having those types of folks early on um, is really important to, to be able to move quickly and, and not have a bunch of process, et cetera. Uh, you know, as as we grow more, I'm, I'm sure some of that will come into play, and we'll have to figure out some some more you know methodical ways of going about things. Right. Uh, but so far, it's basically like customer has needs, we go deliver on those needs, <laughs> uh, right. and you know whatever whoever can can work on it. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of our our mindset and approach right now. Gotcha. And how big is your team now? We're at five. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Awesome. Pretty, still relatively small. No, very cool though. Um, and you, you mentioned you had a co-founder. Are, are they also technical? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's the okay. CTO. I'm the okay. I'm the, the least technical, but uh, I was <laughs> for the first four months. It was just me and him coding all day. Um, Got yeah. Um, so you know, I've, I've started to focus more on the like salesy marketing type of stuff, mm-hmm. or just doing more outbound um, that type of thing. But I still, you know, I'm a developer probably like fifty percent of the time. Um, so we're all. You know, and all of our first hires are engineers as well. Um, mm. So that's that's kind of been our, our focus is have folks who, who can build and um, without a lot of oversight, but still have relatively good product sense. Well, when it comes to those GTM things, I'm just interested. Um, I think I always like, you know, and I think any engineers who are listening to this should be impressed by the fact that you have an all engineering team. It's It definitely says a lot, right? When you invest very heavily in product, uh, which clearly you guys have as well as um, investing in those relationships with your early customers. Um, but I, I am interested just on a personal level, what how you feel about like the balance as a founder, right? Being technical, being a product mind, and then also having to kind of pivot to distribution and I'm sure a lot of LinkedIn and, and email messaging. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard, but 
it's hard to somewhat balance and like, mm -hmm. it's definitely like a transition. Like I said, at the beginning I was building full time and now I'm mm -hmm. having to learn, okay, I can't be building full time. I need to right. be working the rest of uh, everything else that needs to be done. Right. Um, so it's just, I guess it's, it's learning to accept that, to trust mm -hmm. the folks that you hire, um, to, 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 you know, be able to, to take ownership and, and do the things that you were doing previously. Um, and I think that just gets more pronounced the more you grow. Right. So like at yeah. some point I wouldn't even be like a real IC. At some point, you become uh, like picking the right team uh, becomes mm -hmm. like your main role, as well as like you know uh, fundraising and all that different stuff. Um, right. So it's just, I mean, it's really like accepting that like your the what's asked of you is going to change every step of the way, and mm -hmm. you just prioritize and try to get good at whatever is needed at that time, even if it wasn't your background. Like I don't have a background in B2B sales. Yeah. Um, you know, I did work with a ton of uh, companies during my time at uh, Microsoft, but they were all like prearranged for me. And we would do like, you know, private previews and that type of thing. But it, mm -hmm. it was all like, a, the demand was already there. They, they wanted right. for the product. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I did get in the cadence of being able to, to engage with, you know, Fortune mm -hmm. 500 tech companies, uh, as well as startups and, uh, you know, the full range of, of companies. But I was never trying to sell to them. And that's something I've definitely had to learn to do. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if you're a founder trying to do a startup, just like being cognizant that your, your definition of your role is going to like continually change as, as your company totally. evolves. Yeah. Yeah. That has to be the master of many hats, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, what was it that initially motivated you to, to become a founder? Had you always known that you wanted to go into entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I think so. Like yeah. you know, in high school, I was building websites for like my, uh, so for like a few local businesses, even before that, like in, uh, I remember in like elementary school, I almost actually got kicked out of school because I was like buying, uh, snacks from like a, like a grocery store and then going and reselling it at school <laughs> lower than they, they had like a, a shop, uh, oh. at the school where they sold snacks and stuff. So I buy this stuff and just like slightly undercut them. So I think I've always had kind of like entrepreneurial, uh, you know, uh, nature in me, um, mm -hmm. But in, in terms of, like, I also feel very privileged yeah. to, to be in, like, the position that, that I am. So, like, I was born in Colombia, and I, I came here to the States when I was eight. Um, and I was just thinking, like, and, and then uh, if I hadn't moved here, I wouldn't probably have had the same opportunities that, that I have had. Uh, so I, I wouldn't have been able to go to MIT. Probably wouldn't have been able to join Microsoft. Uh, or it would have been a lot, a lot harder, right? Um, so in some sense, I feel like a responsibility in a way to be like, okay, I've been giving, been given like the opportunities to be able to do all these great things and be in this position where I can start a company and have people who will back me and have a network. And so I feel like I have to leverage it in some way and, and, and be able to act on it. Um, so yeah, that part of it is, is that as well. Awesome. I, yeah, I, and feel free to answer this to whatever level you're comfortable with, but Something I, I have noticed is that I, I do think that a lot of, I've seen and, and met a lot of really driven founders who do come from immigrant backgrounds. Do you feel that that is a driving force in, in your entrepreneurship and, and what makes you want to achieve? Yeah, I, I think it, 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 I mean, I can't speak for other folks, but yeah, there is yeah. an aspect of like, wow, you are so lucky to have all these opportunities to be in like the US where entrepreneurship is possible and right. you know a lot of bureaucracy and government stuff they have to deal with but it's like yeah. still less than a lot of other places and um, you know you still 
have a lot of opportunity here that it, it would be a lot harder elsewhere. So I think that that's definitely you know a factor potentially for for these types of folks. Um, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So I've got two last questions for you. The sure. first one is, what advice would you give to a younger version of you? Oh man, <laughs> that's a good question. I think just to see everything as like a, a learning opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Like the any challenges or any new things that come up, whether like really hard or unexpected or whatever, um, they're just like an opportunity to like get more perspective or learn something new, et cetera. Um, and so like, I don't know, I felt like, I mean, I still am sometimes like when I'm challenged by something new, like sometimes I'm a little anxious by it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think trying to, you know, remind myself, and honestly, this is advice for myself right now as well. <laughs> that, you know, when, when, when that feeling of like a little bit of anxiousness uh, mm. comes up, it often means that it's because there's like something potentially new for you to, to learn or like a new skill to develop, that type of thing. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd say that, that that's like a pretty good time resistant uh, yeah. like advice that I could give. Fantastic advice. Uh, it's you know it's good advice when it's still relevant, right? <laughs> and okay, awesome. So then, final question for you: What's sure. next for Inkeep? Yeah. So, like I mentioned, we're focused on um, trying to bring that self-serve experience in sometime in the, the near future, and I think that that'll be really exciting to start to try to build um, a community, open it up to, to more folks, mm -hmm. hear feedback from folks at kind of different stages of the life cycle than we might have been engaging with so far. Um, yeah, and just, just kind of excited to, to see more folks trying it on, on their own, uh, and then hearing back from, from them, which is like a little scarier, right? Yeah. You don't handhold them or like have a necessarily a Slack connect where they can ping questions. Right. Um, but that, that'll be a interesting, uh, and fun experience for us as, as we move towards that. Absolutely. I'm excited for you guys.